0: Hey friends and fellow walkers, we have never shied away from difficult conversations on this show, and the same will be true today. In light of the shootings that have recently happened out in Colorado and in Georgia, we need to talk about what has been going on now for years and years. And so to help us get perspective on that today on the show, we have Columbine High School shooting survivor, Craig Scott. (laughs) If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus, and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text.
1: How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor, without looking at what makes them poor. You don't have to believe certain
0: things to
1: be part.
0: The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment and still say you're pro-life.
1: But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both.
0: I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a
1: student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher?
0: Of course, this episode, as well as almost every episode we've ever done with Jesus Never Ran, is sponsored by Angie Niska and Rise Nutrition. Find out more about Rise Nutrition by going to Facebook and looking up Rise Menominee. That's Rise with a Z. And just for Jesus Never Ran listeners, you can get a free wellness profile. And you can do that by going to the show notes, clicking on the link and it will take you right where you need to go. Again, that's Angie Niska, Rise Nutrition. You can find them at Rise Menominee on Facebook. All right, today we've got Craig Scott with us on Jesus Never Ran, and we're going to talk about a pretty heavy subject because it is just our reality right now in our media in our world today we've recently had a couple of mass shootings specifically in atlanta and in boulder and i am connected to the scott family and really am honored to have craig scott with me today And Craig, why don't you just start off? I promised you that we wouldn't dwell on this too much because I'm more interested in what you have in the area of understanding healing and moving forward when we talk about mass shootings, but could you just give the listeners of this podcast a little bit of backstory of who you are and what you experienced at Columbine High School?
1: Well, thank you, Matt, for having me on, and hello to all the listeners. My name is Craig Scott, and I I uh, was a survivor of the Columbine High School shooting. I was uh, 16 uh, when the shooting happened, a sophomore. And I was in the school library where most of the shooting happened. I had 10 classmates that were killed in the same room. And then I had two friends that were killed right next to me underneath a table. And I barely escaped uh, with my own life and helped lead a group of students out of the library. And then would later learn that my sister, Rachel, was the first one that was killed. She was killed right outside the school library. In the immediate aftermath being in shock with my family and grieving, we began to find writings of my sisters that she had in her journals. And my dad uh, really took an essay that she wrote a month before the shooting happened and really uh, started talking about it a lot. And we, we started a school program called Rachel's Challenge. And it's uh, reached millions of students. And, and now if you go into a lot of schools across the country, there are people that, uh, a lot of students that look to her as a role model for kindness and compassion. And we've shared her journal writings with the world and through books. My mom had a movie made on my sister that was in theaters a couple years ago. And so I've really dedicated my life to just helping people. I feel like I, I could have easily been killed And so when I escaped, I really, I kind of made a deal with God underneath this table in the school library. And it was like, you know, spare me and I'll live for you type of prayer. And so I really have tried to be a part of this chain reaction that my sister wrote about in this journal. when she said, I have this theory that if one person will go out of their way to show compassion, it will start a chain reaction of the same. So I've been, I worked with my dad's organization, Rich's Challenge for 15 years. And now I have my own organization called Value Up, and I still do speaking in schools and conferences, churches, even to businesses every once in a while. I deal a lot with mental health. I talk a lot about my own healing process and keys to healing. And I also share still my sister's story and the things that she did for other people and things that were kind of beyond her years and
0: that we found in her journals. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm so inspired by you. I'm so inspired by your family. Now, Columbine High School, that was one of the first, if not the first mass school shooting that our country experienced. Since that time, mass shootings not only in schools but all over the place seem to be happening way too often. It seems like every time you turn around, something else is happening. Do you have any sort of insight or understanding over the last 20 years of just having this be such a big part of your life? Any thoughts of why Why is that, that we're seeing so much of this in our culture today?
1: Well, part of it is we see whatever the media chooses to focus on. When I travel around in Every school I speak to across the country, I have a dozen students, parents or teachers that are afraid a school shooting will happen. The truth of it, the statistic of a student ever losing their life in a school shooting is point zero 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 three three. Literally, mathematically, they're 10,000 times more likely to die on their way to school that day just by getting in a car than going to school. And so there's this really an irrational fear. And why is that? In a country of 350 million people, if you decide that you're going to tell any story of any kind, and you want to focus on it, well, you're going to have plenty of occurrences of it. And I'm not trying to downplay the tragedy side. I've been a part of one, but I also know that it's not really something that really does claim a lot of lives. It's a sickness. It's a. It's. It's kind of shows culturally that we're in a place where things like this could happen, but it's not uh, something really to fear either. I get a lot of news stations that really. They want to hear sensationalistic stuff. They want to get a reaction out of me a lot of times. Not always. Sensationalism brings more usually dollars and attention. I try to just focus on solutions. And sometimes that doesn't always come across as sensationalistic. Um, But it's what people really want to hear on a deeper level. And so that's what I try to focus on when these kind of shootings happen.
0: Now, when you talk about focusing on solutions, let's start as close to home as possible for you overcoming the trauma that you went through, what was, I mean, I'm sure it's hard to boil it down to a solution. So let's just say, what were the solutions that ultimately helped you continue to live and ultimately thrive and do such incredible things in our world after going through that trauma? Because ultimately whether it's trauma for something like this or anything else, it's so important for all of us to understand how to, to respond and to help the people that are around us.
1: Well, I've done a lot of thought on I I feel like I'm in a pretty whole and healed place, you know, after, you know, going through such a traumatic event of having two friends die next to me and losing my sister, but also uh in the in the aftermath, I would relive that tragedy over and over because I would talk about it and then it was constantly on the news, so it really had a, an effect on me. I would call myself kind of broken after the shooting a little bit. My mind was a little bit fragmented and I had some extreme emotions at different times Sadness and grief but especially anger. I hated the two shooters and I used to fantasize about how I would Get revenge on them and all of this negativity really affected my life. I was depressed a lot. I had um, trouble sleeping at night I had terrible nightmares very violent and bloody almost like a what a soldier would come back with from war and I would wake up in these terrible moods and, and just be kind of this ticking time bomb that my family had to tiptoe around, or I would just lose my temper. Now I look back and I, re- I can pick out what the pieces were that helped me to get to a place of being whole, healed, and content. The first big one, I would call it stillness. My dad is a great teacher, and that's why I think Rachel's Challenge, which is now the largest, has been the largest school assembly program in the country for over a decade and reaches millions of students. I think that one of the big reasons it's such a powerful program is because my dad's a great teacher. And um, one of the things that he's taught me is the principle of stillness, of really quieting my mind, eliminating distractions, disconnecting from uh, media, and really listening to my inner life and my inner self. You could call it spirit, conscious. And so after the tragedy, really spending time in the quiet and spending time sometimes out in nature or just in prayer and meditation and i would in that time i would hear kind of whispers in in myself that would help heal me and encourage me and show me that there was purpose in this tragedy for me that this pain wasn't in vain that i wasn't just going through all this pain for no reason that i was being developed into a person that would uh, be able to help a lot of other people and that I was going to become deeper and stronger because of this difficulty. So when I would spend time in the stillness, I would hear these kinds of things that would really encourage me and help me see my problem in a different way. I didn't see it as something I needed to escape from. I didn't see it as something that I needed to avoid. I found it actually something that I needed to embrace. If I wanted to be this deeper person to make a positive impact in this world, much like my sister did, I had to embrace this season that i was in i had to in a sense embrace the problems that i was in not focus on them not dwell in my negative emotions no but not try to run away from them and realize that this this was it sounds cliche but an opportunity to, to grow and that's what they are problems really are that they're an opportunity to grow so that was the first principle i think as i look back and see that i that I practice in my life was this principle of stillness. All great philosophers and religions talk about the power of prayer, meditation, and
0: stillness. That's phenomenal perspective. And I know when there's an injustice in the world or when trauma happens, often my first response is action. I want to just jump in and start doing something. But I'd be much better off if I listened to your advice and started with stillness because in that stillness, we'll have a better perspective of what any action could be. And honestly, when we're dealing with people who have had trauma in their lives, sometimes we can say just the the dumbest things because we don't take that time to be still before responding to that person that's hurting. So I love that perspective. What else do you have, Craig?
1: Um, The second thing for me was just time with family and friends you know, just spending time with the people that your loved ones. The third thing for me, I think was communication was talking about it. But what was even better was I didn't just talk about it just to vent. I talked about it, which is okay to do, especially if you've been through a traumatic experience, you know, talking about it and articulating it and getting it kind of out of you can be very helpful and therapeutic, but there gets to a point in time where venting about it is no longer therapeutic, it's destructive. If you're five, 10 years away from a traumatic thing and you're still just venting about it, then you are trapped in your past. And you're just replaying in your mind that tragedy. And it's really, it's kind of like a scar that will never heal because you keep opening it up. And so for me, communication was communication combined with something. And that was communication with a purpose. And that purpose for my family and I was to tell my sister's story in order that we can inspire people and help people, help people become better versions of themselves. And so communication, but with a purpose behind it. And then the fourth thing I think for me would be forgiveness and letting go.
0: I'm so glad that you brought this specific topic up because I think this is the challenge, right? We have somebody who does something absolutely horrible and in your case to somebody you love several people that you care for and yourself to the point where you had to deal with so much trauma and so i mean what does that forgiveness even like what what does that even look like
1: some people don't like the word forgiveness and that's okay i don't try to push forgiveness on people that have just experienced something really hard and that's unwise to do that because there's a time to tell somebody a certain truth. And then there's a time not to, to just unload everybody. Every true principle at every given time is foolish. Two years after the shooting, I had a trip to South Africa and I went there on a trip, a church group, actually a group out of Texas called Teen Mania. And they used to send thousands of teenagers all over the world on these mission trips. And my sister wanted to go on one of them to Africa. And she actually had letters of support written out and she was the summer of 99, she was going to go. And the shooting happened in April of 99. So she was killed before she could go. So the owner of Team Mania called me and said, Hey, we heard your sister wanted to go. And we'd like to give you a trip to Africa and um, to go on her place if you'd like to. And I did. And so I went to South Africa and I met a person there that had it, first of all, going to a third world country. And I spent actually two whole months there and we went into refugee camps just doing that's going to just change you unless you're just a totally closed off person having that kind of experience just changes you because you come back to america and you realize you lived in the most blessed country however you want to call it uh, fluent whatever we have so much and so i came back with that perspective but i met a man who had a big impact on me you know on the trip we went into these refugee camps and reached out to poor people and we were doing a lot of good, but I was still in a very negative place. I hated the shooters. Columbine was constantly on the news and I constantly saw their picture and it made me really angry that I felt a lie was being told in the news narrative, not on purpose, but the the lie was that the reason the shooting happened at Columbine is because they were bullied. That was true, that they were bullied to a degree But that wasn't the big cause of why Columbine happened. After learning a lot about them and every school shooter of every school shooting, I can tell you the biggest commonality that I find with all these shooters is that they focus on everything that's negative in this world. They're constantly focused on the negative in themselves and in other people and in this world. They don't see the good. They don't choose to see the good. They focus on the negative. To me, that was a bigger reason why it happened. And even psychologists that have looked into why Columbine happened thought bullying wasn't their big why. And so anyway, I just felt the news kind of justified them a little bit because they were saying they were making them look like victims. And I was like, I watched these guys come in to the library and bully er everybody in there and call people names and mock everyone and treat it like it was a game, peek underneath the table and say peekaboo and shoot a girl, come over to where I was and saw my friend Isaiah, who was black. And call them racial slurs and drag them out and shoot them. So I just couldn't stand the fact that I felt like they were being portrayed as victims. As, as if they were pushed to the edge. And I knew kids at my school that were treated much worse. So anyways, I, I hated these guys. And I used to fantasize about killing them. And it got me in a really negative, dark place. I mean, I would literally get so angry. I would think about being in a room alone with these two guys and wanting to kill them. And what I would do. And that's how bad it was in my mind.
0: And listeners, if you don't remember, the two boys who were responsible for the tragedy at Columbine High School, before it was all said and done, they also took their own lives, which even shows more how angry Craig really was in this situation.
1: I was up one night in our campsite in South Africa, and I wasn't supposed to be out, I was a teenager. And this bus driver that we went into these refugee camps every day with, he pulled in with his bus. This big African man, every day on the bus, he was singing these beautiful Zulu songs. And he was just this big guy that uh, you always wanted to be around, just filled with so much joy. He was so great to be around. And he saw me out walking around, and he came over and asked what I was doing out, and he could see that I was upset. And he said four great words to me. He said, tell me your story. And I hadn't told anybody my story on that trip. And so I told him my story and I told him what I was dealing with and what had happened at my school. And he listened and I never forgot that he told me his story with a smile. Not because what he went through was happy, what he went through was horrible, but he was in a healed and whole place. And he told me his story with a smile. He told me he came home on his bike one day to his village in South Africa to find everyone had been slaughtered and massacred with machetes and killed by another tribe. He lost 17 members of his family. In fact, every single member of his family was dead. And when he told me this at first, I almost didn't believe him because this was a guy I'd been around for a couple months, every day, wonderful person, singing beautiful Zulu songs, this kind of person you wanted to be around, this positive energy, And I thought, how in the world did you go through that and be like this? And he looked at me and said, forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free and finding out that prisoner is you. And I realized that all the anger and hate that I was holding onto was making me a prisoner. And so because of this guy, I I decided to forgive the two shooters. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that I was justifying what they did. To me, what forgiveness became for towards them was letting go of my right to be angry and letting go of my right to hate. Now, I had a justified right. I had a right. I had to let that right go to be free. So I actually did it in my stillness time. I would take all this anger and hate when it would when I would see their picture on TV and I would see the justification that they were bullied and that's why this happened I would take all that anger and I would literally ball it up in my hands and my fists and I would almost tremble I'd be so angry and then I would just let it go I'd let my hands open up to the sky and I would just let go and that wasn't a one-time thing I had to do it over and over but it was a process and I began to let go of that anger and when I came back from that trip from Africa, my family said I was different. And I was. And that's really when I started speaking more. That next that next year, I took my first trip with Rachel's Challenge. We did our first schools in El Paso, Texas. We did 40 schools. And that was a huge piece for me, letting go and forgiveness.
0: Craig, that quite possibly was one of the best explanations and definitions and, of course, stories surrounding the idea of forgiveness that I've ever heard, so thank you so much for sharing. I've had the great opportunity to get to know your father, Daryl, a little bit, and he is just a spectacular human being, and just like you, his perspective is is nothing short of inspirational in so many ways. I know you've shared with me that he's greatly inspired you, mentored you. Had an incredible influence in your life. So, could you share specifically this idea that your dad talks about about being a see througher? What exactly, at least to you, does that mean?
1: Not looking at the surface of things, but looking deeper. Let me give you an example. I was speaking one time and I had this girl come up to me after a presentation. Usually, I have hundreds of kids line up to talk to me. Telling me really wonderful things, you know that they're going to pick up my sister's chain reaction. I've had thousands of kids tell me that that they weren't going to take their life, that they had suicidal thoughts, and the stories inspired them to hold on. Literally thousands of students have told me that that they were going to stop bullying somebody. I've even had kids that had plans to do a school shooting that had a change of heart that came up to me after a presentation. So after one presentation, though, I had this girl who came up. She was dressed in all black and a black trench coat. She had Goth makeup on, small petite girl. And the first thing out of her mouth was, "They should have killed more of you." And I just looked at her. I didn't say anything. And she walked off. And then I had a bunch of kids come up to me and tell me a lot of good things and share. A lot of kids share with me their traumatic experiences and horrible stuff that's happened, or you know the, the things, the biggest things they're struggling with. After all of that, I went to the principal and I said, "Hey, that girl that came up, I didn't tell the principal what she said to me." I said, that girl that, that came up to me and dressed in all black, could you possibly get her out of class for a little bit? I'd like to talk with her. He said, absolutely. So I went to a, a science classroom. Nobody was in it, and they, she came in. And um, I decided at first I was just going to listen to her and just find out about her. And she, you know, come to find out she had been bullied relentlessly in school ever since elementary school. And she just was so tired of it. She was just so filled with anger and hated these people that were always, you know, that was treating her so bad. And within about a 45 minute time with her, she went from idolizing the two shooters at Columbine and almost looking to them as some kind of heroes. At the end of our conversation, realizing that what they did was so wrong that they were not justified in their actions, that killing somebody because you were being put down is kind of the equivalent of cutting somebody's arms off because they stepped on your toe. She realized that these were two guys, I I talked to her about the shooters, that these were two guys that blamed the world for their problems. They blamed the world for their emotions. They never took responsibility of their own minds. Their minds were a mess because you made it a mess, because the world made it a mess. But we have the power to take control of our, our thoughts and treat our mind like a garden and pluck out weeds and thoughts that we don't want there and focus on the flowers and beautiful things that we want to grow and flourish. And she went at the end of this conversation to choosing Rachel as a role model. I, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had looked at this girl instead of see-through. If I looked at even her attitude or her physical appearance or her even her words, towards me. If I were to have just stopped by looking at the surface level stuff, I would have never had an impact on her. She would have continued to think they should have killed more of you. But because I was able to see through to a hurting little girl who had believed the lies that other people have told her, like she was a loser, she was stupid, she was no good. Instead of believing in her own inherent built-in value, seeing through to a hurting person, I would have never been able to have an impact. So being a see-througher means seeing through things with faith, seeing beyond the surface, seeing that there's a purpose, that there's something deeper that's happening and being in touch with that. And so those were the the principles that helped me. Stillness, communication, time with family and friends, letting go and forgiveness and being a see-througher.
0: Phenomenal, Craig, absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much. So unbelievably helpful. In light of everything that's been going on recently in this last couple years and beyond, I suppose, but some of us are really struggling to find hope in the world and to find, I guess, a way forward. So what would your encouragement be to those of us out here who just need some help finding hope, love, joy, and encouragement moving forward in life?
1: What we place our attention on, we give power to, whatever it is. So... I live a life not of ignoring the bad, not of ignoring the problems, but just not focusing on them. What happens when you take the world consciousness and place it on a negative thing, such as even COVID? What what are the psychological impacts on the whole world? You know, I learned that after the shooting, when they started putting the pictures of the shooters constantly on the news and talking about school shootings a lot, what happened? More school shootings started happening in fact it got to a point where i started to say on oprah and cnn and fox and all these different stations we can't keep giving these shooters all this attention it's just inspiring more school shootings what we place attention on we give power to but it's just a simple principle in life whatever we're going to focus on we're going to give power to whatever it is that's why you know my dad was had the wisdom with rachel's challenge it's one of the best programs Out there to help stop bullying, stop suicides, and stop school shootings. But we have never labeled ourselves an anti bullying, anti school shooting, anti suicidal program. We were a pro kindness, pro compassion, pro connection, pro type of approach. When you focus on the right things, you automatically negate the wrong things. If you focus on kindness and compassion and creating that kind of culture, it doesn't leave room for bullying and exclusion and disconnection. So it doesn't mean you can't talk about those things. It doesn't mean you just imagine that everything is, is perfect and wonderful in the world and be naive. No, that's, that's not good either. It means you just don't focus on it. It means that you, you talk about it, you address it, but you're, you're solution focused. When you focus on the differences that we have, You can appreciate differences, appreciate the differences that we have, but when you focus on them, you're going to create division. Instead, appreciate diversity, but focus on what connects us. Focus on the commonalities, because if you do that, you'll create relatedness and you'll create unity. I've been to every state speaking, most of them, a dozen times. I've spoken to over a million students live in person And what I've found everywhere I've gone, if it's the inner city of Chicago or Detroit or rural Kansas, or if it's Portland or New York or down south in Texas or rural Mississippi, wherever I'm at, I find that just because we're human beings, we have so much more in common than we do that's different. We all have differences and we all have a uniqueness about us that that is wonderful and should be appreciated. But if we want to connect with other people, if we want to bring unity about with other people, we have to focus on the commonalities. It doesn't mean we ignore the differences, no, appreciate our differences and see them. But we should focus on how we're related and connect. And if we do that, we'll create more unity with people. I talk about my dad a lot because he's a mentor to me, and he's taught me so much. But he has a poem called Darkness Fighter, and it says, I curse the darkness all night long. It wouldn't go away. I threatened, yelled, and pleaded, but the dark was here to stay. And he goes through this whole poem talking about people that are trying to fight the darkness. And at the end of the poem he gets to, but finally I found the solution, and that is to light a candle. That is to bring in some light. And the darkness can't survive.
0: special thanks from the bottom of my heart to Craig Scott for being on the show and giving such great perspective this week. Just such an incredible human being doing such incredible work in our world. If you would like to support this podcast, make sure you subscribe to it and give us a five-star rating and write a review. And until next time, keep walking.